0: Hello, and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast. I'm your host, Eric Larson, and we're here to talk about work in a way that's authentic and relatable. I couldn't tell you what half of my friends do for work, so I set out to fix that in a podcast that I could share with an audience that's curious about what young professionals do and where they want their careers to go. Here we are talking to Lisa Cameron, formerly Lisa Verney, about her job in healthcare as an occupational therapist. Uh, I think that everyone probably knows a nurse and could guess at what they do, but for a career or a position as specific as an occupational therapist, there's a lot more that goes into it. And as Lisa mentioned, she's both good at her job and good at talking about it. So it's really fun to talk to her because I'm a couple of years older than her and uh, she speaks very well in a very, short career so far where she seemed to had some success. So thanks to Lisa for coming on and enjoy the rest of the show. Hello and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast. I'm your host, Eric Larson, today joined by another Vernie cousin, Lisa. it feels weird to not say Lisa Vernie, but Lisa Cameron, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. I've been excited to come on.
0: I uh, didn't have to convince her to come on at all. She's been excited at pressing me, right?
1: Yes, of course, <laughs> always eagerly.
0: There we go. So, Lisa and I have known each other a while. Seeing as we're related, uh, she's about the same age as my younger sister, and I guess it's cooler to have cousins on than sisters, which is why I haven't asked them on yet. So,
1: absolutely, where's the fun in that,
0: Lisa? You. <sighs> You've moved around states. Where are you at right now?
1: Uh, we currently live in Massachusetts. We, I grew up in Massachusetts. We lived in Hawaii for about a year. We moved back in July. Um, but yeah, we've kind of settled like halfway between where my husband grew up and where I grew up. So right in the middle of Mass.
0: Nice. with a Yeah, casual stop in Hawaii in between. But we'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, Lisa and I have, haven't talked about work much. I think the most we get is uh, Snapchat updates to the group when you have a particularly successful or unsuccessful day. Absolutely. A uh, lo- lot of venting, and I just I can't imagine being a nurse or anyone that had to go into an office or in a hospital every day anymore. So I'd like, to, I'd like to hear from you about all of that. So I guess, how did you get into nursing, high school? What's the, what's the whole story? First of
1: all, I'm not a nurse. I'm an occupational therapist.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: You're very welcome. People get (laughs) confused often, but um, I, my mom is a nurse. And so growing up, I was around that and I was around just kind of her process because she went back to school to become a nurse when I was in um, elementary and middle school. So I kind of got to watch her go to school and that felt overwhelming to me. Like all those hard, she had to take so many like chemistry classes and anatomy classes. And that felt very daunting to me, but I also knew that I wanted to work with people and I loved healthcare, um, always. And so kind of, as I went through high school, you know, I worked a lot with kids. I worked as a gymnastics coach. I worked in as a camp counselor. And so, um, I kind of like was just invested in working with people, but teaching never felt like something that I wanted to pursue. Mm. So when I got to college, um, I kind of just was exploring different different jobs, different you know, kind of different sectors of what it looked like to be in kind of healthcare and education, social policy, those kinds of fields. Um,
0: social policy.
1: Yeah, just kind of like the all of that. I wasn't sure exactly where I fell in it, but I knew I wanted to work okay. with people. Um, and so ultimately, I studied human development and health sciences and took an internship as a, a, a occupational therapy intern as an undergraduate student. And I was okay. also working as a um, kind of like a direct care aide for a like, young child who was receiving OT um, on a weekly basis. So I got to kind of observe his OT. Oh, that's I, right. Yeah. So that was kind of impactful for me, for sure, because through him, I got to see so many different professionals in like kind of the healthcare, greater healthcare umbrella. So, okay. Um,
0: yeah. So let's break that down. Lisa talks quick. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, you're good. You're good. This is, we, we get right into the meat. Um, so yeah, high school, like seeing your mom, obviously that's you're impressionable. That's helpful. She's a very loving, caring individual like yourself and you kind of have to, to go in a field like that. Um, but you know, going into OT, is that a decision made like sophomore year? Or is that like a specific degree? When did you pick that?
1: So that's a really good thing to say, because I felt like, I've, you know, from the time you are a freshman in high school, they're like, you have to go to college. But then no one mm-hmm. ever tells you, start thinking about grad school now. Um, grad school wasn't even on my mind. I was like, so kind of, bogged down by the idea of even going to college that I would have never thought of that. It really Mm -hmm. is, though, something you kind of have to start exploring early in college, maybe freshman, sophomore, even junior year, to make sure you get all those, like, prerequisites because you do have to go on. It is a master's degree, and it's actually moving to a doctorate um, in the coming Mm -hmm. years. And so you save yourself a lot of time and heartache if you take those, like, prereq classes, you know, early on because they also... You know, and I'm not sure how this works for other professions, but um, certainly for for a lot of uh, the health sciences, it's like they expire. So if you take anatomy, you have to, in order to enroll in graduate school, I had to have taken anatomy and physiology within a five year window. So had I decided, you know, freshman year, to take anatomy and then to, waited a couple of years after graduation, I would have had to retake it. So, um,
0: anatomy just changes so fast, you know, in five right? years, you from, uh,
1: <laughs> thousands <laughs> of years of uh, evolution. But, <laughs> yeah,
0: so what is your undergrad degree?
1: My undergrad degree is uh human development and human services, and then I had a minor in health science.
0: Is that like in the nursing school?
1: So, that is was technically in the school of education. And then the health sciences degree my my college now has a nursing program and and a rehab sciences program actually but it was under just like the health science umbrella okay anyone going to what school what school i went to merrimack college in north andover mass for undergrad i went to mass college of pharmacy and health sciences for graduate school
0: okay yeah so yeah you went in you weren't exactly sure four-year degree, master's degree, et cetera. But when you figured out that you did want to go into OT, which was because of the kid you were taking care of, you kind of found that passion or, or pursuit. That's when it clicked. And that's when you figured out what other classes you need to get. Is that right?
1: Pretty much. I mean, I I think I what I really liked about OT was that it's like you get that whole medical side of things. You have the ability to work with such diverse populations. You can work with elderly people. You can work with kids. You can work with folks with brain injuries or knee pain or whatever the case may be. But um, you don't have to deal with all of the bodily fluids and, you know, blood (laughs) and whatever that like nurses have to do. So it's kind of a, a niche little spot within healthcare that you don't have to do all the nitty-gritty of it, but you still get to be in that in that sector and learning about those different diagnoses. And I think that, um, I think it's a kind of an unknown profession. Not a lot of people even know what it is, but I think that it is kind of a great sweet spot for people who maybe want to be in healthcare but aren't really sure where they fit,
0: or a little squeamish too to avoid that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. <laughs>
0: So maybe another stupid question. What's the difference between OT and PT then, physical therapy?
1: That's everyone's favorite uh, thing to ask. And I can tell you that it gets confused in the field all the time. Um, I get called a nurse. I get called a PT. I get called, you know, a rec therapist, whatever it is. But um, PT, Hmm. I like to describe it as like your PT is going to come to you after you've had a stroke, let's say, and say, all right, let's we're going to stand up and we're going to walk. And your OT is going to come in and say, okay, we're going to walk to the bathroom. And then what are you going to do when you get there? It's all those functional tasks. Like, do you have the activity tolerance to do your dishes? Are you able to go back to your house from the hospital and like climb in and out of your own bed and do your own laundry and not navigate kind of the functional tasks of daily living? Whereas PT is very much mobility centered. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So it's kind of like coaching and teaching, like you were talking about earlier too, and like reps and practice and getting people back to normal.
1: Absolutely. And it is like, I mean, it is super diverse. Like you'll find OT in so many different areas. Like, you know, there's OTs in school who might work with a kid who has some fine motor deficits and isn't able to write or Mm -hmm. a kid who maybe isn't able to like cross their body's midline. So they're having a really hard time reading, but they are going to come at it from a more physiological perspective than say a teacher would. Um, Or you can work in like outpatient rehab with, you know, athletes. You can work in inpatient rehab with folks who are experiencing a neurological incident. Um, You can work in psych. There's just so many different like avenues to explore that makes it kind of special. I think.
0: Okay. Very cool. So I guess specific to where you started working and ended up working, can you talk about the positions you had, if they were all OT? Just so we'll start with your first one out of school. That was in math,
1: right? My first one out of school actually was in Hawaii. And that was an ah. adventure because in order to become an occupational therapist, you, can, you have to get a master's degree and then you have to take a boards exam. So I had to sit for the national right. boards exam and we were living on an island where there was no test center for me to take that exam. And it was in the middle of the pandemic. So I had to fly inter-island, take a COVID test, get a hotel, the whole nine yards. And I was so paranoid that I was going to fail the exam and have to come back and tell everyone, not only did I fail this insanely expensive and challenging exam, but I also had to pay for a flight and a COVID test and all these different things. So I didn't tell anyone about it. yes Um, and then I, I passed and I got my Hawaiian state licensure and I just applied for, there was two jobs on the Island, the whole Island for OT. Um, and when I was offered my first job, they were basically like, okay, you're one of three OTs on the whole Island. So all those populations that I talked about that we can serve, were all being kind of underserved in this way. So while I was primarily working in home health, um. I would get calls from different places around the island who needed support from an occupational therapist, whether it be like skilled nursing facility or assisted living home or the school district would call um, just because there was such a limited number of us, Mm -hmm. which was really interesting um, because I obviously I I took all my classes. I did all my clinicals in Massachusetts, which is this, you know, kind of like epicenter for medicine. And Mm -hmm. then we were out in rural Kauai, which is does not have great healthcare. Um, so it was this huge dichotomy between where I was trained and in the, in the kind of resources we had for our patients and then where I was actually working and the limited resources that we actually had. Um, so it was kind of a, a big learning curve for me definitely was being out there and then not having support of other therapists. I mean, everyone says when you enter your career, yeah. they're like find a mentor and it's really hard to mm-hmm. do when there's no one there. Um, you kind of have to really you know, do a lot of self-studying, which was hard.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, there's a lot to that. And so you got some experience from your internships. Maybe you had some idea of other options, but Hawaii was because Lisa got engaged, had a whole wedding planned, COVID ruined that, and then (laughs) took off to Hawaii with her husband. Yes. Uh, to support his work but what's a little on Hawaii just because that's such a cool experience Uh, what did you what did you like about Hawaii if anything it
1: was incredible (laughs) I mean it was special because we were there during the pandemic and Eric knows because he came to visit me out there but it was just like there wasn't as many people there there was no COVID during the time I was there there was like zero cases so we were kind of able to live Mm -hmm. normally and it's just a different culture I mean I think a lot people are much happier much kinder at least than they are in New England and everyone just <laughs> hangs out outside and it just engages with the environment and there's a lot less industry especially the island we were on so there's a lot of people who you meet who are baristas who just you know take the afternoon to go surfing and definitely taught me a lot like to slow down and just like appreciate life yeah it was.
0: that's sweet so have you been able to bring that back to Mask this time or are you sped up again well it's
1: funny right because like out there i remember thinking like i don't get road rage anymore like i like i'm just a slow (laughs) island driver and then i got back here and it was like within two weeks i feel like i had unlearned all of that and i was like people off on the highway again i was like oh man (laughs) what was the point
0: yeah well it's totally different and even the island you were on was not like the super touristy island either so that with COVID meant that you just had kind of your crew of people and got through the pandemic eventually had some visitors. And then what was it? One
1: year or two? Um, Yeah, we were out there for a year. Um, But yeah, I mean, the pandemic definitely changed it, but yes, the Island itself is already so small. It's only like 18 miles. You can't circumnavigate Mm it. It's like 75,000 people. It's just, it's tiny and it feels. Yeah. Like everywhere you go, you see a familiar face. It's just very, very different than the way that I grew up and where I grew up, certainly. And I didn't grow up in some metropolis either, but comparatively.
0: Right. What 40 minutes for Boston, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, about 40 minutes.
0: Yeah. So some culture shock, but some some fun culture shock. Yeah. So So yeah, So you got a job for a little bit down in Kauai. Mm-hmm. Uh couple months well
1: if you remember i at the end of my time there the company i was working for got bought out by like a big therapy company um that was based out of Mm -hmm. arizona or somewhere and they were going to take this little small business on the island to kind of grow it and you know start filling it with therapists from travel agencies and um you know i was at this point where i had about two months before i knew my husband's contract was gonna end and we were gonna leave the island or and so I was like, does it really make sense for me to kind of redo the whole onboarding with this new company that was buying out um, my old agency? And I and I, you know, snapped to our, our cousins group with advice. And, you know, one of my cousins who's very logical responded and was like, you should absolutely do it. You know, it'll look really good that you that you have, you know, a full six months of experience out there. Um, and then, you know, Eric comes in with his wisdom and is like, Yes, but you only have two more months to live there, so why bother working? You have your whole life to work. You know, Let's this go. is the time to end that. <laughs> and then, you know, you'll you'll work when you come home. It's not gonna make a difference. Two months isn't gonna make a difference on a resume. And that was, I think, really good advice.
0: All right. Yeah, I, I remember. Because of course, you know, I'm, I'm like remote work from this office and we're seeing all of these lovely Hawaii snaps and I'm just like, yeah, bump that. <laughs> take two months off enjoy it um and and i think you know the some others i just had a recruiter on who will be posted before or after this but just how strong the market is for candidates oh absolutely us like people are hiring left and right so anyway i'm glad glad you enjoyed that and you found that good (laughs) advice um and then now you're back it's been coming up on a year you're working at a hospital? What are you doing So right
1: now, now um, so that's another kind of unique thing I feel like about OT, but, you know, tons of different professions. But we have, like, it's very common to have a full-time job and then have, like, a per diem job uh, that you work maybe on the weekends. You don't take benefits. Um, really? Excuse me?
0: You have a full-time job, like salary benefits, and then also something on yes. top of it?
1: That... And like, like I said, that's not uncommon because it's one, a way to make extra money. You tend typically per diems get paid very well. Um, and where I don't need benefits because of my husband, I get them through my husband's work. Mm. Um, I do have that flexibility and it's also a great way to not lose your skills. So ultimately that's why I've made that decision. Um, so I'm working full-time in mental mm. health and inpatient psych hospital. And then I have a per diem in like subacute rehab, which is, you know, your post-stroke um, neurological kind of conditions.
0: So are you like Monday to Friday, eight to five? I at do the Tuesday hospital? to
1: Friday, seven 30 to three 30. Um, okay. Yes. And then I see some pediatric clients in the afternoon. And then here and there I pick up per DM shifts at, uh, inpatient rehab.
0: Gotcha. Kind of, gotcha. And that's just kind of, it is random.
1: super random, but it is, it's just how, you know, okay. I want, I don't want to lose those skills. You know, I spent years studying and I don't wanna kind of pigeonhole myself so early in my career as like a mental health clinician or wherever. Um,
0: So what are some of those skills? What do you mean by that?
1: Well, so in school you go through, you know, some of our classes, they range from, you know, we have classes on mental health and we have classes on um, like adult rehabs and musculoskeletal conditions, Mm -hmm. someone with arthritis and and how you're gonna treat that or someone who's had a stroke or a traumatic brain injury and how you're gonna treat that. And so that obviously looks really different than how you're going to treat someone who's in an inpatient psych hospital for, you know, extreme behaviors like aggression or suicidality. So that's kind of more what I mean. Um, Kind of that real scientific portion of it that's very evidence-based rehabilitation uh, versus what I'm doing now, which is a lot more, it feels like putting out fires all day long um, and kind of doing a Mm -hmm. lot more... Like creative kind of let's see if this works kind of interventions versus kind of following like a scientific mm. protocol.
0: It's just more random because you're in a mental hospital, so I would imagine things are. Yeah, it's, it's
1: just a little bit more fluid. Hazard. It's like in when you have someone who comes in with a a hip replacement, right? They're gonna have you know, there's going to be differences, patient to patient, no two are the same, but they're going to come in and they're going to have the same precautions. You're going to kind of know what you're going to get, how you're going to progress them. um, The kinds of things you're going to work on, you're going to work on like strength and endurance and stuff like that. Um, But when you have someone come in and I primarily work on the autism unit, um, you have a kid come in and largely they're there because they can't, the outside world can't figure them out. Um, they've maybe tried school-based mm-hmm. therapies and they've tried all sorts of things and they've ended up with us because they are kind of too, what we would say acute, like too um, high need to be for their needs to be met in the community. So they come to the inpatient level of care and then it's like a puzzle kind of figuring out, all right, what's going on with this kid and how are we going to make him functional so that he can rejoin the community? So um it's a, just a lot more troubleshooting because if we have a kid and, and, and my job with them is to, you know, work on the fact that they, cause OT, we basically work with any sort of deficit to function. So it doesn't matter where that deficit comes from. We try to say it's like, um, mm-hmm. Top down versus like a bottom up approach. Like we're going to look at the actual functional performance before we look at like the root cause of it. And so the root cause of, you know, behavioral dysregulation you know, we're not going to pay attention to that so much, but we're going to look at, all right, this kid is coming to us and he can't sit in school because he's freaking out and flipping his desk. Why is he doing that? And how can we mitigate that behavior? Um, Mm. So yeah, it's just a lot more trial and error and kind of like figuring out kind of these unique differences as opposed to a more like cut and dry rehab case.
0: Yeah. Yes, I know. But yeah, that's, <laughs> well, it's it's just so different from like the corporate yeah. world, right? So, uh, and I want to get to that too. But I guess just before that, you said before the podcast, you were like, I'm I'm good at talking or I have to talk about work a lot. What was the reasoning? Like, who are you telling all the so time? I
1: work, um, I kind of lead uh, the occupational therapy department, so to speak. Um, and so I present at our orientations. Um, I actually have one tomorrow morning for our new hires. So it's often, you know, we'll get a lot of new hires, CNAs, or just like, you know, high school kids who have graduated and are looking for a job and we hire them on as mental health technicians. And so I just do a lot of people who are unfamiliar Hmm. with what I do. So I do a lot of explaining. Mm -hmm. Gotcha.
0: So are you leading a team right now?
1: So I mean, it's per, per the practice act. For Massachusetts, there's OTs and then there's OT assistants. And so under my licensure, you know, uh, there are OT assistants who operate. Um, but yeah, I, I supervise. I do the clinical supervision for a couple of the occupational therapy assistants, which is kind of new to my okay. job description. Um, so yeah. that's been kind of exciting and just kind of a learning curve too, because I've never been kind of managed people. And it's also weird to be like managing and kind of, delegating to people who are like older than you and have more experience they just don't have the same credentialing yeah so that can be a balancing act um, to kind of respect that boundary yeah
0: i would imagine yeah lisa's like mid-20s so getting it done did well in school figured it out um props to you but so what did what do you think about some of those certifications and tests and stuff you had to get do you feel like it was kind of overstudying to get to this point or like a lot of the certifications were pretty useful or is experience way more important Um, i think
1: experience is way more important i mean you can't like and even just having witnessed this pandemic right like the cohort below me at my own school um you know same education same professors it's the exact same program no matter who goes through it there's no electives you just take the program and the difference between like the class below me who got all their clinicals on most of their clinicals were like online through zoom um or they were with not like not true hands on versus my cohort and the cohorts below, before me who had all hands on learning i think there's a huge difference in level of comfort like entering the workforce um i think that part but that's where i think i did the bulk of my learning like i feel the things I remember from school are the things I learned like doing the hands-on way more so than like sitting in the classroom and like studying for my boards exam yeah. was like the most stressful six weeks or eight weeks of my life. And, you know, you study 800 topics and then you only 400 of them are on there. So you memorize something and you might get one question gotcha. on it. Uh, but that was brutal, <laughs> but I suppose yeah. it's necessary.
0: Yeah. That's- Right, right. And of course, you know, especially when you're dealing with people in healthcare, you want to be over prepared mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the system is set up in that way. But I guess if you're saying that experience is important and you're coming in and you're like managing people with more experience than you, is it just, you know, is there imposter syndrome? Or are you nervous about it or has it gone pretty smoothly? Um,
1: I mean, it, it, it's gone pretty smoothly. I definitely feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, I just think I feel that way in general. Like I, I swear I looked, I walked out of my exam and I was like, did I try? Like, I just blacked it out. And then when I passed, I was like, are they sure? Like, I just have always kind of felt that way. Um, I know that I'm good at my job. I'm not gonna, like I'm humble about it, but I do know that I'm, I'm good at what I do. Um, and I think I have the respect of the people kind of beneath me, but I also think part of that comes from looking to them where their strengths are. Um, and I try to celebrate that. Like if I have a colleague who has way more experience in a certain area or treating a certain type of patient, um, i always go to them and be like, Hey, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, and kind of glean what they know so that we can all continue to kind of learn from each other. But I definitely get imposter syndrome.
0: <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, you know whether it's right or not you got the right certifications you passed your test you know you studied your butt off and you're in the position you are now which is cool um, I guess my question as someone who all of this is a foreign mm-hmm. language right like I was like trying to go to business and sales and engineering just kind of happened to be along the way but how do you view like all the remote work and like the jobs like I have like are you <laughs> envious do you wish you could do it are you happy with yours would you ever go to the corporate world like what's um, your thoughts on that
1: I get envious I get annoyed like even when I hear like just I, I don't know <laughs> if it's just because of the pandemic that healthcare is having this like spotlight for how much it can totally suck sometimes but um mm-hmm. it it's can be very frustrating when I have these friends with work from home jobs and like cushy salaries be like oh their company gave us six percent raises this year, or whatever, and I'm like, <laughs> on my paycheck it says hero pay, and then zero dollars next to it, <laughs> like we've been getting since uh, the start of the pandemic um and it's just like it's just funny, but I definitely yeah, I don't think I could ever do it um I just like the chaos and I like the hands on i j- recently had surgery, and I was home all day, and I was bored out of my mind um. I just don't think I'm wired for it, but I definitely can get envious of my friends who have these like really secure kind of corporate style jobs. Um, where, when I go to work, I mean, I do work in psych and that comes with a very challenging patient population. Sometimes I go to work and I, you know, can get fearful of my clients and I can have really hard days, get called terrible names. Um, and so I try to still have like empathy when my husband comes home and talks about, you know, sitting behind a computer screen all day. And I'm like, man, you know, that sounds so hard for you. I get called terrible names (laughs) and then kicked in the head. So uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, we had an hour long meeting today. It was just so boring. And they were at the whiteboard for 20 minutes and so many PowerPoints. Yeah. You're just like,
1: sounds so hard. River.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel a little weird about it, too, because I've been remote for a while. And like, there's all this flexibility and I could go travel and like, yeah. you know, dinners and networking events. And then, of course, you know, the, the people that have to be in not a, not even an office, but like healthcare and education and like all of these positions that aren't paid mm-hmm. what they should have to deal with a bunch of BS like, you know, I don't want to switch into that world for that reason but um you know certainly respect the people that do so thank you i mean literally working at a mental hospital is like who who would sign up for that i guess it's (laughs) i mean it's funny too
1: because it's like if i love it like i love it i think i laugh more I like every, I, my coworkers and I have so much fun. Cause it is such a unique experience that it does create this kind of, like we yeah. joke that we're all trauma bonded because there's just been so much chaos that's happened around us. Um, and I love it. I truly do. Um, but yeah, it's like, it has a lot of sacrifices, right? Like we had, I had to work Christmas day this year. I had to work Easter. Um, there's definitely drawbacks. Um, and we, you know, it's not the most lucrative career, but, um, I mean, I find that it's worth it just for the fact that I come home at the end of the day and I like feel like I did something.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that would be a good note to end on, but just one more thing since you kind of alluded to it, but like future career, don't wanna go the corporate path. What does the career path for OT look like? Are there more certifications, bigger hospitals? Like what are you kind of thinking?
1: So there's tons of cert, like you can, there's endless amounts of certifications you can get. Um, I have gotten, you know, I've taken dozens of CEUs, um, continuing eds, but, um,
0: what's the purpose of we, that just for you personally? No, it's not, like it's not for, uh, it's
1: I mean. actually to maintain like, so I'm an OT and then after my name it's OTR, mm-hmm. which stands for registered, which means I have my board certification nationally and then L which stands for license I'm licensed to practice in the state of Massachusetts. Okay. Um, in, in order to maintain the R and the L on my credentials, which makes it so I can practice, I have to take like 36 um, contact hour courses a year, or every three years. Um, so gotcha. those those you know sometimes you can glean like a certification from it. Um, I think I mean ideally my my dream job would be like neuro rehab. I love strokes. I could do stroke rehab all day, every day for the rest of my life. I love it. Um, Interesting. Why? Because it's super cool. Like you get this person who comes to you and they've had this massive trauma, right? Like they've had this huge, you know, incident in their brain and they can't even, they can't even recognize like half of their world and you get to like reteach them how to see that side of them. like. When I was on clinical, I remember I had this, this older guy and he reminded me of our grandfather our Poppy, um, really, really sweet old man. And he had had a heat, a massive stroke. And so he had like, basically, um, like a right sided, we'd call it like a right hemiplegia. So he really couldn't move the right side of his body. He couldn't really attend to that side of this atmosphere. And like his last day we were discharging him and he like, was like, Guys, look, and he just wiggled his fingers on his right hand, which he hadn't been able to do. And he had been with us for weeks. And the fact that he could regain that function from like all the, you know, muscular re-education we had to do. um, It's just so rewarding. And you just feel like you get to give this person a little bit of life back, which is really special. But I would like sorry, it does
0: sound rewarding.
1: it's it's pretty incredible. Like there's just, you get so much out of it. You know, you see someone who hasn't had a shower and like a true shower, like maybe they had post COVID or they've had, you know, some massive brain injury. And then like, you get to help them do that for the first time and kind of like teach their body how to do it again. And it's just really impactful. Mm. Um, So that's the population I love the most. Like if, if that's where I would see myself in 10 years, I would be very, very happy. But in terms of like actual, just like moving up, I mean, I could get a doctorate. I could get like a clinical specialty. Um, You know, you can work up in management. My boss is actually an occupational therapist um, who's kind of worked her way up, which I think is really admirable. And I kind of look to her as a mentor in that way, because I think that's really cool. Um, Because you don't see a lot of OTs in admin, even in hospitals. So. I see. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, good for her. Good for you. If you go see try not
1: to have one though,
0: (laughs) please don't. Uh, Cool. Well, anything else you'd like to share Um, for our listeners?
1: Not that I can think of, but I guess I would say if you want to go into healthcare, but you don't want nursing, you don't want to be a doctor, explore rehab, explore those other avenues, because I think that there's a lot of different ways to get into that field without kind of those traditional paths.
0: Yeah, and uh, a growing need for Absolutely. it, I'm sure, as everyone gets mm-hmm. older and keeps yes, living. Yes, there's ever
1: not a need for it. <laughs> job security is cool, great. Cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Good Lord. Well, uh, hopefully none of our listeners need those services anytime soon. But uh, Lisa, it's been quite interesting and so different from my job and probably many of our listeners. So thanks for sharing.
1: All right. Anytime.
0: Okay. thanks again to Lisa for joining the show. A couple takeaways from myself. So first off, I mean, anyone that listens to that would just have to give a round of applause to Lisa because we need more people like her. And it's easy to say, you know, thank you to the heroes and the nurses and COVID kind of helped us appreciate that. But man, working in a mental hospital just takes a different kind of person. And uh, thank you to Lisa and all the others that kind of do that. I thought, I'm a corporate person. I think anyone listening to this podcast would know that. I appreciate my job and I enjoy it. And I wouldn't switch over to anything without a touch of remote work at this point. And maybe that's selfish, but uh, Lisa just talked about how rewarding her job was. And I think that that is a little bit different kind of rewarding than closing a deal and i think that there's something to that so anyway don't know if other people feel like me where their their remote desk computer job can be certainly rewarding at times and they even like it but also the type of rewarding is different maybe so would love to hear your thoughts on that uh again thanks to lisa i guess one other takeaway i'll just mention is the amount of schooling that has to happen and You know, when you enter school, it's hard a lot of times to know, I want a four-year degree, or I want a master's, or even know what your major is. So to Lisa for figuring that out semi-quickly and then having to do more school than having to get a master's, having to pass the board exam, it just goes to show you that it's a difficult thing to do, and the people that do it have put a lot of time and effort and dedication in for a job that may not pay as much as others that they could get. So again, just highlights the discrepancies between your corporate job and your healthcare job. Uh, looking forward to having some teachers on and some other people from the field. And I think corporate could get broken up into a lot of different areas too. So look forward to more episodes. If you're one of those people. Reach out, Instagram, email, and we'll talk soon. Thanks everyone.